You're listening to Shortwave from NPR. A few weeks ago, my editor and I ventured down three stories below ground into the basement of an unassuming building in Washington, D.C. We're heading to a new exhibit housed at the technology-based art space, Arctech House. So what we're looking at here is our main space gallery. That's Arctech House D.C. sales manager, Josh Feldman. He's our guide for this visit. As we step foot through the installation, you are stepping foot into our brain. Quite literally, we are walking into a projection of the human brain. The main gallery space is illuminated by high-definition laser projectors from the floor to the wall. And as we roam the room, our bodies become an extension of the floor, another surface for the projections to shine on. The focus of this exhibit is the brain, more specifically, the nerve cells in our brains. We wanted to tell the story of a neuron, a single neuron, uh, in order to educate the public regarding the fact that the neuron is the essential element of the brain. That's John Morrison, professor of neurology at the University of California, Davis, and the lead neuroscientist for this new exhibit. He tells me that everything we do is the result of about 86 billion neurons talking to one another, from our senses, touch, smell, sight, taste, and hearing, to how we interpret and understand our world. The neuron, it's a cell that's specialized for communication, all the circuits within the brain that process information are formed by neurons. Today on the show, the life of a neuron, plus how the melding of research with art and technology pushes the boundaries of how we learn about the world and understand ourselves. You're listening to Shortwave, the daily science podcast from NPR. The idea for this exhibit started a couple years ago when neuroscientist John Morrison had a concept in mind. We decided to construct a three-dimensional neuron that you could experience, that you could walk through. But we didn't have a way to do it. We just knew we wanted to do it. He knew it was a stretch, an immersive way to visualize the neuron. But then he and his colleagues at the Society for Neuroscience met some of the artists from Artec House. This meeting eventually led to a multi-year collaboration. And... Everybody, everybody had to listen to me at the beginning of each call say, look, I think we got about a 50% chance of this working. And then by the end of the call, I'd say, okay, we're down to 20%. Because it was just so, it just seemed so difficult all the way through. The challenge here was figuring out how to provide enough data in scientific images for the artist to accurately work from. But in the end, it paid off. Can you walk us through what happens in the first nine months of human development from the science perspective? <laughs> Do you have a couple hours? Um, <laughs> I mean, if you, if you have a couple of hours, I have a couple of hours. No, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> what, what main, the main thing that happens is that you start with, with very few cells. Yeah. They can replicate at that point. In other words, just like a cell in your skin, they can replicate. You can get more and more cells. Right. But they're not neurons yet. And then they start to differentiate into neurons. Now, at the same time, those neurons are starting to specialize in terms of where they are in the brain. So now, in those first nine months, you're already developing areas that'll respond to vision, that'll uh, produce movement, that will um, 
end up being what we refer to as the thinking regions of the brain. That's already starting in those first nine months. Right. And you go from literally rel relatively few neurons or few cells to billions of neurons. And they're already neurons. They're already specialized. They're already forming circuits. Not the adult circuits. You're going to do a tremendous amount of sculpting of those circuits and modification of those neurons uh, after birth. At this early stage in a neuron's development, in the exhibit, the walls, floors, and your body are covered in spheres of white dots swarming and stretching and growing as they swim towards the center wall. You start to see a larger sphere take shape, and just as quickly as it forms, you start to see sparks of color flying by, just for a moment. And once again, you are surrounded. Visualizing all this, that was a big of a challenge, right? To really, how can we tell how this story unfolds? And that's why we kind of called it the life of a neuron, because it's a, it's a universal uh, story of us. And, you know, we're learning as, you know, every second. Um, and that shows on the visually as well, too, to that beauty of the, of the color and the structure of the neurons itself. This is Sandro Geritz-Litza, the founder and chief creative officer of Arctic House. In addition to the visuals, he says sound is also key to the immersive experience, which, by the way, what you've been hearing and will hear for the rest of the episode is the soundtrack, the audio from the exhibit. With this installation, we really try to push the, the sound effects and sound landscape in, in the sense that to tell that story throughout that whole uh, 20 minutes duration where it begins with the baby crying or uh, playing in the playground and you know continues to the uh, the high school and 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 these sounds are really universal that's interesting that that you mentioned the universality of the sounds because the sound is very prominent in the exhibit but at the same time it feels universal yet very familiar, right? Because it's Correct. sounds of babies crying, it's sounds of Correct. laughter, it's sounds of people singing happy birthday. Correct. What informed kind of the pairing of those sounds with the visuals? Well, to me, and if, you, if I go, go all the way to the back to where my roots are coming from and, you know, yeah. the, growing up in a family of artists and especially my dad made 65 movies and he described me many times that most important part of the film is the music and the soundtrack. Mm. And it was fascinating learning how the sound uh, tremendously affects uh, our experience and our brain. And... And hearing that, and it was very much um, inspiration yeah. to take it to the next level. Right, right. So, so I, I guess, John, when I experienced it, I saw the dots morphing into the neurons and then the colors getting more vibrant from pastels. And then I interpreted something kind of like a jungle, maybe roots of some sort, and also maybe perhaps electricity traveling from neuron to neuron. But at the same time, that's my interpretation of it. How do you see it as a neuroscientist? Like, what does that say about our developing brain? Well, I think your perceptions are, were exactly what we were trying to evoke. And I think that it's accurate that that infant brain mm. is super active. And what I thought they did extraordinarily well was they, through the sound and the visualization... They had spines coming and going, and they had the dendrites reaching out, and they had, as right. you said, circuitry on top of the structure. 
Um, but what they really evoked in for me, and I think for any neurobiologist that saw the exhibit, is that extraordinary level of activity and plasticity mm. at that age. And, and when they move to an older age, everything is more stable, except for adolescence. They really had fun with adolescence <laughs> yes. in exactly the way that it should evoked a transition from the super plastic brain to the stable brain. Now, of course, plasticity continues throughout your life. It, it isn't that it goes away. It's just that mm. it's, it, it's a little bit decreased. Right. But the adolescent brain, to me, evoked a lot of, oh my gosh, I guess confusion. There was so much activity and the colors were moving so fast and the electrical circuits that they superimposed on the neurons um, were so... There was a sense of movement. Yes. There's so much movement inside the neuron. Mm. Mitochondria right. flying around, proteins flying around, the structure even changing. And, and they, they managed to evoke that. Right. Right. Sandro, how did, how did you evoke that from the sketches and the 3D models that John sent to you? Uh, I think it's, it's uh, you know, really working with the incredible artists and talents, you know, to really give them the uh, right information, right tools. And I think that's what's beautiful with this exhibit, that, um, that artists, you know, respectfully use this information to create this beautiful story, right? Right. And we didn't only provide this three-dimensional neuron. We also were constantly providing Neurobiology 101. And the mm. artists involved actually learned a lot of neuroscience. When I met the artists, I was really struck by that. Um, one of the artists that worked on the project is now thinking of getting a PhD in neuroscience. Oh, wow. Um, and, and, and that was also something that, that struck me is that the exhibit itself is about, what, 20 minutes? The first half to maybe the first... 75% of it, it felt very artistic, it felt very abstract, and it felt very impressionistic, right? Um, the colors are changing, it's growing. But then when we reached the death part, you start hearing things like crying and ambulance and, and even s literally slowing down of the visual elements. You're also visually seeing the, what, I, what I'm interpreting as the neuron dying. John, was that accurately portrayed in the representative parts of the projection? Oh, my God. So the first time I saw it, I didn't know what I was going to see. I, I, was, I, I had no idea. Right. Um, I'm watching it, and then I'm looking at the, right. at the wall, and I see the neuron start to break up and die, and the dendrites falling off, and then it's kind of retracting. And that's exactly what I see in the microscope. Because we study wow. aging and Alzheimer's disease. And I think what they did, either purposely or by accident, is when they moved right. from those earlier life stages to adult and then death, they got very literal. They were much closer to what you would actually see in a microscope. Mm. Oh, my God, that, that's a neuron dying. Wow. Yeah. I, I, my editor, who's also listening in, she was telling me that seeing those moments, she was also getting a bit emotional. And yeah. I think that just speaks to the artistic side of incorporating the science. Sandra, what was your experience first exhibiting this? Uh, you know, like, to be honest with you, I think it's something definitely... Um, it's a... 
It's experience that we all go through, right? I think what, what we were aiming with this uh, universal story is to really tell the beauty of the of the things that happening inside of us and who we are, and and I think it's something that uh, makes you pause for a moment and you know think about your life and think about you know how the life is just a moment. It's just a really short moment that we're all living through and uh, and going through the same things inside of us. It's absolutely the same things happening in every every one of us. John and Sandra hope that people leave this exhibit with a better understanding of the brain and themselves. And at its core, this exhibit combines decades of research from neuroscience and the advancement of both artistic and scientific technologies. As the tools we use to teach and visualize our understanding of ourselves change, they are excited for what's to come. The Life of a Neuron exhibition is in Washington, D.C. through January 2nd, 2022. This episode was reported and produced by me, Thomas Liu, edited by Giselle Grayson, and fact-checked by Margaret Serino. The audio engineer for this episode was Gilly Moon. Special thanks to science correspondent John Hamilton and the publicist working with Arctic House, Jacobin Norwood. Thanks so much for listening to Shortwave, the daily science podcast from NPR. <laughs>